0: Hello and welcome to the Poverty Policy Podcast. For today's episode, we are cross-posting an episode of the Voices for Human Needs podcast that is produced by our partner organization, the Coalition for Human Needs. We are excited about this episode of the Voices for Human Needs podcast and are reposting it here on the Poverty Policy Podcast platform because the episode features two members of our community, Courtney and Art. Courtney is a frontline medical provider in the healthcare for the homeless community, and Art is a leader and advocate who is led by his lived experience of homelessness. Joining our friends Courtney and Art on the episode is Steve Berg from the National Alliance to End Homelessness, who talks further about ways to take action on current proposals in Congress that can help end homelessness and poverty. Some notes, this episode was recorded and published in the summer of 2021, so keep that in mind as you're listening. The Poverty Policy Podcast Podcast is a product of the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council and as always the views expressed here are not necessarily representative of the views of the council. Be sure to like and follow the Voices for Human Needs podcast as well as our podcast, the Poverty Policy podcast after you listen to this episode. And thanks again to our partners at the Coalition for Human Needs who decided to feature members of our community on their own podcast. I'll put all the information you need in the show notes. Let's get started.
1: I want to end homelessness. We have enough resources in this country to end homelessness. That is possible. And part of what we saw in this pandemic is that when there is political will, we can help people.
2: I'm Abigail Alpern-Fish.
3: And I'm Leah Wing.
2: And we are your co-hosts for the first season of Voices for Human Needs a podcast from the Coalition on Human Needs that serves as a go-to resource for both new and experienced activists working to reduce and end poverty in the United States. This season, we will talk about the most pressing anti-poverty issues currently being debated in Washington, D.C. Today's episode focuses on health equity for those experiencing homelessness and what advocates can do to enhance the political will of elected officials to end homelessness in the United States.
3: First, we will feature the lived experiences of two grassroots advocates from the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council, a membership organization uniting thousands of healthcare professionals and advocates with people who are experiencing homelessness.
2: Later, we will hear from Steve Berg, the Vice President of Policy and Programs at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. Steve brings decades of experience working with communities across the country, to inform federal policy and advocacy efforts to end homelessness. He will share more with us about how advocates at the grassroots and federal levels must continue to push forward policies during the reconciliation process and economic recovery legislation debates that can make a real difference in the lives of those at risk for or facing homelessness.
3: Homelessness was already on the rise before the pandemic with over half of a million people unhoused in the U.S. as of January 2020, according to point-in-time counts by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, and 70% of those were individual, leaving the rest 30% being families and children. Keep in mind that this data was collected in January 2020, just before the COVID-19 pandemic, so it does not take into account the effects of the pandemic on homelessness, such as reduced capacity for facilities, and also the elevated rates of unemployment and job losses tied to this recession. We know that 57% of personal bankruptcy are due to medical bills, so imagine losing one's job, therefore also losing the health insurance, is often the tipping point into personal debt, eviction, and homelessness. This vicious cycle highlights a huge flaw in our country approach to human infrastructure and health care.
2: Keeping people in their homes, off the streets, and out of shelters is determined as the right public health response to mitigating the transmission of COVID-19. But to further health equity for all, during a pandemic or not, providing safe and secure housing is always a top priority for human needs advocates. Earlier, you heard the voice of one of these advocates, Dr. Courtney Plaston from Portland, Maine. Courtney serves as the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council's Clinical Director, while also working at her local Healthcare for the Homeless Clinic, or HCH. Courtney provides primary care, substance use treatment, and mental health care to those experiencing homelessness in her community. After having experienced homelessness herself as a teenager, Courtney brings her empathetic perspective and understanding of what it is like to be homeless to her work with patients, also known as consumers of the healthcare services she offers.
3: And right now, let me introduce you all to Art Rios Sr., who joined us from the opposite coast in Portland, Oregon, where he also brings his lived experiences with homelessness into his work as an advocate for his community.
4: I am actually a consumer. I am the current National Healthcare Consumer Advisory Board's chair. So I've been a longtime consumer with my HCH, or my uh, mental health and uh, addiction services, and my homelessness for the last 20 years. So I, I'm on the other side of the spectrum from Courtney. And uh being the chair for the National Consumer Advisory Board for the National Health Care for the Homeless Council, uh, that also I uh, get recognized as being part of a voting voice for those with lived experience on the Board of Directors and the Governance Committee. So that's a great opportunity to uh, share some voices that uh, are not heard.
2: I wanted to start off by giving each of you an opportunity to discuss a bit more about how communities that you're a part of whether that be through the policy clinical or advocacy side have responded to challenges faced by those experiencing homelessness in your community so whether that be already existing hardships both before the pandemic during the pandemic and the challenges um, that were further exacerbated for those experiencing homelessness to access health care and what this might look like as we continue Amidst returning to a new normal, what challenges still need to be addressed from each of your perspectives and the work that's going on in each of your communities?
1: Pre the pandemic, the point in time count showed that more people were sleeping outdoors than in shelters. And that's the first time that's ever happened since we've been doing point in time counts. So what that tells me is not only do we have a housing crisis we have housing that's unaffordable we also have a shelter crisis people don't want to stay in shelters that tells me that they're not as humane as they need to be they're not meeting people's needs i think one of the things that we saw a lot during the pandemic and this is really basic people had a hard time accessing bathrooms people had a hard time accessing showers and laundry we had day shelters closed we had so many critical services just closed their doors and nothing was opened in their wake and we just had a crisis of basic necessities, and that is unacceptable as a public health response during a pandemic. So we saw lots of failures of our public health systems in terms of meeting the needs of some of the most marginalized folks in our communities. I will highlight though that there was. A lot of really beautiful mutual aid work that was done and driven by people experiencing homelessness. People lived expertise of homelessness that said, you know what, these systems aren't meeting our needs, so we need to support each other. Health providers really did try to step up and recognize, all right, if people can't come into clinics, then we need to go to them. And we saw a lot of health teams, healthcare for the homeless teams, put on backpacks, really lived the philosophy of street medicine and bring medicine to people where they are. Um, and that was a you know, a really beautiful outcome of seeing the importance of street medicine and knowing that walls are arbitrary and we just need to bring healthcare to where people are.
4: We've seen the rise of homeless folks on our streets here in Portland, Oregon. Even the city took a very aggressive way of moving people. And when that happened, it was very hard for us to get our healthcare services to folks uh, because they were constantly getting moved day-to-day sweeps, every uh, week sweeps and stuff like that.
1: And Art just highlighted why it is so invaluable that people with lived expertise on your board, in your organizations and leadership, really helping to inform and shape your programs because we can't do it unless we understand what's actually going on on the ground. Part of some of the unintended consequences of moving folks to even hotels and motels or alternative care sites is that we're taking people away from a community where they know how to access resources, or communities and organizations go to encampments and bring resources. We're taking the individual out of that situation and we're putting them in a, in a community that they don't know and away from providers. And also highlighted the tech divide. So many health systems move to virtual visits, where a lot of folks don't have smartphones with cameras. And so a lot of people experiencing homelessness were relying on phone visits, which in a pinch is great to help get medication refills, get folks needs met. But if you need to assess a wound, a phone visit is not sufficient. So you have to go where folks are. Virtual care offerings, telephone and video visits are wonderful if you can access them. Um, So that, that becomes another just duality of those who have tech and have access in minutes and those who don't. And that is really, we can't continue to create systems that leave folks behind.
3: Thank you both so much for your answer. Now, I want to give an opportunity for our listeners to hear about your story and why you choose to pursue the work that you do. First, let's hear from Art. I just had been doing
4: it. And during my homelessness, even even during my addiction, I was still advocating for people. And when I got clean and sober in August, I'll celebrate 15 years of being clean and sober. I still do this work. I've hit multiple times of compassion fatigue, just like any, any other advocate would or doctor or psychiatrist or even a student gets that compassion fatigue of something they're willing to do and wanting to do for someone else. So I've been, I've been doing this work since I was seven and I'm 51 years old now. I will keep doing this work until the day I die because if there's someone that's on the street that just needs some water, or a sandwich, or some services, or just me to sit there and let mm. them talk, if that's all they need to do is talk, I'm going to sit there, I'm going to listen, I'm going to validate what they have told me, what else can I do for you? Do you want me to still sit here and hear, listen to you? That's what I'm willing to
3: do. That was truly beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Now, turning to Courtney.
1: Yeah. Uh, growing up, I had seven younger brothers and sisters. I had a really large family um, and my father struggled with mental illness. And it really came to a peak when I was a teenager and he lost his job. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom for all of us kids and we lost all income for our family. And my father's mental illness just spiraled out of control and he wasn't in a place where he wanted to get help and was really unwell he ended up being hospitalized. And my mom was a single mom with eight kids and we had nowhere to go. And we ended up um, in our house for months while the house was being repossessed. And then the lights got turned off and we lost electricity and then water. And then we had nowhere to go. And we ended up in a homeless shelter when I was 16. And because there were so many of us, it took such a long time, like many people, to get housing. It took us a year to wait for a Section 8 voucher, and then to find an apartment. And um, yeah, it just was a tremendous, you know, painful experience as a teenager. And I feel really grateful that for me, school was an out. It really motivated me because I really saw that as my only path out of poverty. And I'll say what what sustains me in this work is the beauty of the people I get to work with, the clients, the consumers, are just some of the most amazing, brilliant, beautiful humans I have ever had the privilege of knowing. And it's really sad how society stigmatizes folks experiencing homelessness, because they lose out on the beauty of this community. Because I truly... Don't go a day in clinic without laughing, belly laughing with my patients, smiling and crying with them because life is beautiful and complex and painful, but what a joy to sit with people in their truest, authentic self. As Art mentioned, compassion fatigue is real. Um, When you're pushing against systems that are so oppressive, when you see people overdose and die, when you lose patients because of system failures... That's exhausting. It is so overwhelming. It's never the patient care that gets me. It's pushing against systems that is crushing over time. And so self-care has to be part of this work to sustain you, or else you'll be burnt toast and you'll be of service to no one.
2: Recently, the power of people advocating on behalf of changing policy that is deeply personal to them was demonstrated by Representative Corey Bush of Missouri's 1st Congressional District. Congresswoman Bush, who faced eviction herself on multiple occasions, at one point living out of her car with two children, made headlines with her response to last month's expiration of the federal eviction moratorium. Alongside activists and policymakers alike, Congresswoman Bush slept on the steps of the U.S. Capitol and leveraged support through news outlets and across social media to build public pressure, calling upon Congress and the Biden administration to act and protect millions of renters across the country. The activism of these affordable housing and homelessness advocates, including many of CHN's partner organizations, made possible the extended, although still limited, federal eviction moratorium. The extended moratorium was scheduled to be in effect through October 3rd for renters living in communities with high transmission of COVID-19 as declared by the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. However, unfortunately, a recent Supreme Court ruling has just now ended the federal moratorium on evictions, putting hundreds of thousands at risk again for being put out of their homes.
3: Therefore, if you or anyone you know needs help with rent, you can go to consumerfinance.gov renthelp rent help. That is consumerfinance.gov consumerfinance.gov/renthelp. rent help. This is an online tool that helps renters and landlords find state and local programs that are distributing federal rental assistance funds. And right after this, we will hear from Steve Berg. Steve is the Vice President for Program and Policy at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And just a note to our listener: this interview was recorded on July 29, 2021.
2: It would be great to hear from you about what policies are currently being debated in proposed legislation, whether that be in the American Jobs Plan, the budget resolution for the fiscal year of 2022, and what impact um, for those experiencing homelessness some of these proposed policies could have.
5: The thing that is most striking right now is that you have Joe Biden has been elected, and part of his campaign platform was to make the Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Program a universal entitlement program that everyone who's eligible gets. It's hard for me to express just how huge a difference this would make in the lives of low-income people in the United States of America. You know, I I first learned about these programs when I was in law school, like the Section 8 Voucher Program. That was funded so that only about one quarter of the eligible people would actually get help from the program. And now, several decades later, it's still the case that only about a quarter of the people who are eligible get help, help from that program. So that's a, a big difference between that and like food programs or medical program, as opposed to HUD, where everyone is eligible, gets on a waiting list and waits for a long time. and no matter what is going on in their lives or what kind of crisis they may be having because they can't afford housing, they can't get help from the voucher program. So having a president get elected after running on that program, I think opens up the possibility of making big changes in housing programs.
2: In August, both the House and the Senate approved a $3.5 trillion budget for the 2022 fiscal year with funding for human infrastructure programs. This package includes money for housing and homelessness programs with investments of up to $332 billion for housing and transportation. The amount of funding allocated to congressional committees with jurisdiction over housing programs will determine the scope of impact that providers, such as local health care for the homeless clinics, can make in their communities. Each congressional committee with jurisdiction over programs is writing bills which are due to the House and Senate budget committees by September 15th that will then be combined into one package, which is the reconciliation bill. That is the bill which will be voted on and hopefully passed. Under Senate rules, a reconciliation bill cannot be filibustered, so it can pass with a simple majority vote of 50 senators plus the tie-breaking vote by the Vice President. The reconciliation bill also only requires a simple majority vote in the House. So what do federal housing and homelessness advocates, like Steve Berg, want to see funding for in the reconciliation bill?
5: As Congress is busy right now putting together the next spending bill that will pass through the reconciliation process, there's definitely a feeling like housing needs to be a big part of what's in that bill, but the question is how much and for what. The president had asked for substantial investment in programs that build affordable housing which is good. And that's really important because if the voucher program actually ever funded to scale, you would need a lot more housing to be built that's affordable to people who have a voucher. We're putting out, we put out the action alert for people to let Congress know that housing is a really important part of this next big funding bill. Great.
2: Thank you. And could you speak at all about any policies that would impact also access to health care for those experiencing yes. homelessness? Any supports for also direct service providers yeah. who are the ones really providing those resources?
5: A big part of this next emergency spending bill is something called home and community based services. It's basically using the Medicaid program to provide services to people so they can stay in their homes. You know, most people didn't really think about homelessness when they thought about home and community-based services. They talked about older people who were aging in place and wanting to stay in their home. And and that's certainly a big part of it. But it's also very much the case that, that that portion of the homeless population that's dealing with very severe disabilities and needs various kinds of help, even if they get housing. To make sure that they're sticking on whatever treatment regimens they have, they're getting hooked up with the medical services they have. I, I mean, the people in the medical world say housing is healthcare, and it really is true that people with stable housing tend to have a lot better health. But the other piece of that is that we need more healthcare of the specific kind that will help people who are moving from homelessness into housing. Well, one of the things we do is we try to work with communities on what they're doing about homelessness. I mean, we do a a lot of work on research and understanding what the research shows about homelessness, but mostly where we get ideas and we get an understanding of what needs to be done and what Washington needs to do is from talking to people in the field, to people who are homeless or have been homeless, or people working in homelessness programs about what's working in their community, what's not working in their community.
3: and now we will do just that learning from people with lived experiences and turning to our advocates on the ground courtney and art we ask each of them what federal housing or health policy would they like to see expanded or improve upon to make a real difference in their work in their communities and in the lives of those experiencing homelessness
1: i'm gonna dream big okay because this these are the moments that we need Structural change. We we saw inequities in our health systems, but we also saw racial reckoning. And we hopefully people have learned in the last year that we can't create new systems unless we're also thinking of creating equitable systems and really understanding who is benefiting from the systems and who are being left out. I want to end homelessness. We have enough resources in this country to end homelessness. That is possible. And part of what we saw in this pandemic is that when there is political will, we can house people. With the FEMA funding, counties were able to move people from shelters and the streets into hotels and motels by the thousands, by the day. That tells me we have the resources to do so. We just don't have the political will. In the meantime, though, we need to create Continuums of health care. We say housing is healthcare. That is our motto at the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council. That has been our drumbeat for 30 years. But we can't wait for healthcare until someone is housed, right? We need to make sure that we have health care, whether that's on the street, whether that's in a health center, whether that's in a mobile unit, whether that's virtual care, whether that's medical respite. My vision as the clinical director is that no matter where someone is in their life, I want them to have access to high quality health care, that is trauma informed, it's going to be directed and driven by the patient, but we are there as medical providers to support clients and to, to be their healthiest self. I'll stop there. I can go on and on about this, but there's lots of policy solutions. I think the other thing is we have to also, I lied, I'm not going to stop there. The other thing is we actually have to pay people a livable wage. There's not a single state that you can work, make minimum wage and afford an average apartment. There is dignity in all work and we have to pay dignified wages for all work. And that will be a huge way that we can lift many boats and folks out of poverty. But many, many people experiencing homelessness are working and cannot afford housing.
3: Since we're talking about raising the federal minimum wage, this is a very honest plug to listen to the first episode of our podcast, all about the Fight for Fifteen. Go to our homepage; that's the first episode. And yes,
4: Courtney, you are correct. A livable wage here in Portland, Oregon, is twenty-four dollars and nineteen cents, and that's for a two-bedroom apartment. Our units have skyrocketed like no tomorrow. Since this pandemic, I see a new surge of homeless folks that have never been homeless. Once these evictions start going through, we're going to have new folks that have never, ever dealt with any homeless services by February of next year. And to me, it's scary because that's half my complex that I live with, you know, that are going to see this. And if they're not making that 24-19 an hour to stay in their apartment, like what's going to happen, you know, to those folks? I can send them off to these different services, but those services are working already with so many other people. I mean, I'm like Courtney, I, I could go on about this for a very long time because uh, I'm very passionate about the work that I do and the people that I meet because I, I look at them as not like male, female black, white, LGBTQ, I look at them as another human being that has had some hardship. And I can care less what the hardship is. If they have a question and asking me for something, I want to make sure that I give them a nice, soft handoff to the next person. And hopefully that person treats them as respect as a human being, you know,
2: we turn again now to Steve Burke to ask about why policymakers have not been able to truly eradicate homelessness in the decades he has worked in Washington, D.C. on this issue.
5: Yeah, so the coronavirus pandemic has made me more upbeat about what we can do about homelessness because I, I just see in community after community just the idea that the way to be safe from COVID was to stay home and be in your home. And then people realizing, oh, wait, there's a whole bunch of people who don't have homes to go to. I think it's just raised the awareness. I mean, we've always known homelessness is bad for the people experiencing it. it's bad for health. It has all kinds of negative health effects being homeless. And I think the awareness that it's basically a housing problem rather than a problem of individual issues, which makes it ultimately a solvable problem. It's just, you know, it's largely a matter of money and it's not as much money as maybe some people would think. And I think the the idea that we've got these emergency spending bills spending billions and billions of dollars makes it apparent that, you know, the kind of money it would take to get homeless people off the street and in housing is not really that much. And it would have all these benefits. And, then, and that's the other thing I was talking about before. There's more awareness how homelessness is causing a lot of other issues to be harder to solve, like the healthcare issue. The whole issue about policing and, and too many people being in jail and how many people go from homelessness to jail sort of back and forth on a regular basis. People who have mental illness who have been stuck in institutions are rotating between mental institutions and homelessness and jail and can't get out of that. It, it's suddenly, if, well, if the issue is just if they need a stable place to live, why can't we just do that? we're seeing more leadership from the federal level, but the mechanics of solving the homelessness problem really lies at the local level. It lies with mayors. Sometimes the mayors react in the wrong way by, you know, thinking, oh, if they just arrest all the homeless people or bring garbage trucks and get rid of all the tents, then everybody will be happy. And that never worked. It's just wrong. That's what Place have been doing for decades and it never works. The the homeless people are always still there. Homelessness is always there. It doesn't solve the problem. What does solve the problem is having housing for people who need it and having the kinds of services and healthcare that uh, people need in order to keep their housing stable. And I think people in local communities who are concerned about this, I think it's just very important to keep that message going out as part of the local political debates, that it's a solvable problem, and there's money there, and we just need the leadership to make it happen.
1: Those that are closest to the problems are closest to the solutions.
3: This is, once again, Dr. Courtney Plassen.
1: We don't need to in power because that inherently says that an external factor has power. The community has the power. People experiencing homelessness know what they need and we need to value their voices and value those with lived expertise. For me drives the point that we should be hiring people in all sectors with lived experience. A degree is valuable and beautiful but it doesn't replace lived expertise. And so we also really need to be evaluating pipelines for positions. When we value those with lived experience, they're going to directly benefit their communities. And that's going to help build trust in your organization. That will help you be more impactful in your work.
4: Me and Courtney, we have one thing in common. We have experienced some homelessness in some different ways uh, with a lot of challenges, but look at us now, like we're, sort of kind of at the top of our game in our own right perspective, but also at the same time, we're still human beings and we have feelings for other human beings when they don't have something.
2: So what can listeners like you do to join in the fight to promote greater health equity for those at risk of housing insecurity or homelessness? We'll hear first from Steve
5: get involved with people locally i mean every every locality in the country pretty much has some sort of local advocacy going on on homelessness if people want to get involved and can't track down who's already working on the issue you know be in touch with us cuz we can help and get involved find out what the plans are where local advocates need help and then i think the real thing is to get the elected officials involved set up times when they can come and visit homelessness programs and then really make sure those elected officials, whether it's the members of Congress who are making the decisions about how much money to spend or the local mayor making decisions about how much time and energy to put into resolving homelessness, to make sure they know that there are people who are watching them and who want them to do that and who are going to demand that they do it. I think that's the key.
2: Next, let's hear Courtney and Art's suggestions for those interested in joining advocates who work to promote greater health equity and combat homelessness in their communities.
1: Every single person has talents and gifts that they can share. Part of it is leveraging whatever that is, whether that's time, whether that's money, whether that's art, whether that's a listening ear, Whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're a first generation college student taking loans and paying your way, we can all help and we need everyone's help. So part of that system change, we have immediate needs. People are hungry, people need clothes, they need shelter. There's immediate needs, but then there's long term. And so students, raise your awareness. Focus your next paper on homelessness and understanding what's happening in your community. Understand policy on the city level, on the state level, on the federal level. Vote. Who we put into office matters. Matters locally and in the presidency. Everyone top to bottom. As Art mentioned, the policies come down to local decisions too. So your vote matters. If you like to write, write letters to the editor. Highlight Challenges that you're seeing, use your voice and your privilege to highlight these issues that people just overlook all the time. If you are someone that has wealth, leverage your dollars, donate to organizations doing the work, invest in this work, invest in your local shelters, nonprofit organizations, advocate for livable wages, pay your staff livable wages. I mean, the options are endless, but we all can bring something, whether we're teachers, students, business folks, writers, artists. We need art, we need beauty. Art brings people together. Um, This work isn't only about pain and suffering, it's about beauty too. So everyone has something to contribute and it's about using whatever gifts and talents and abilities you have to this movement to end homelessness. So there's immediate needs and long-term needs. So figure out where you fit in this movement, But, but we need you, we need your talents.
4: Like Courtney said, if you got a dollar, if you got $2, give it to an organization that is out there helping folks with their health care, because all those other things happen for somebody. But if that person is willing to walk through those doors to take care of their health, if it's mental health and addiction, okay, put it into those and and see the programs change, see services change for folks. It, It does work.
2: Thank you so much for those additional comments, all of that you've provided. I'm writing Leo in the chat. I wish we could talk to you guys forever. I really appreciated what you said, Courtney, about if you're a student, concentrate your research or writing on policy to combat homelessness. Cause I personally, that's a lot of what I was doing in school. And so I really appreciate what you're saying that anyone just taking steps to inform themselves and educate about what's going on in their community What are people, their neighbors experiencing? And is there anything they can do, whether that be through financial support, a smile, just offering compassion to those that they're passing by. And so thank you both for what you've shared with us today and shared with listeners.
1: Well, thank you for the conversation and elevating and putting light on this topic. You know, I know... People talk about homelessness in really small ways, but I appreciate the expansiveness that um, and the thoughtfulness in which you approach this topic. So thank you both so much. Really appreciate it. And Art, it's always a pleasure to share space with you. Good to talk with you.
4: You too, Courtney. Yeah, thank you, Abigail. Thank you, Leo, for us uh, having this platform to just share share two different perspectives from a consumer and a clinician. You know, mm-hmm. so this was a great opportunity.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Voices for Human Needs podcast. We learned a lot today from our speakers about what practitioners in the fight to end homelessness are doing on the ground and how their work informs federal policy and advocacy done by organizations like the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council and the National Alliance to End Homelessness.
3: After hearing from our advocates and experts, I hope you are all fired up because now is the time for all of us to urge our representatives in Congress to vote for the Build Back Better agenda and invest in housing programs such as affordable housing, expansion of housing vouchers, home and community based care, and so many more critical services that Congress will work out the budget details over the next few weeks.
2: You can learn more about our three speakers and actions you can take in the fight for greater health equity and to end homelessness at the Voices for Human Needs blog page at bit.ly slash Voices for Human Needs. Please subscribe to our show and follow us now wherever you get your podcasts, share with a friend or colleague, and stay tuned for our next episode.
3: Also, if you have any questions, comments regarding today's topic, or even questions and suggestions for future episodes, please go to our anchor.fm page and record a message to Abigail and me, so that your voice can be included in the next Voices for Human Needs podcast. Finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can search for Coalition on Human Needs or voice for human need. That is voice number four and human need. I promise we'll be the first one that pops up. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.